Hey, this is Tyler Johnson, pastor of Mission Church located in Walnut Creek, California. I want to say thank you for tuning in. I hope this podcast inspires you, encourages you, and helps you live the life God called you to live. Enjoy. Are you ready for the message? We're in a series titled, What Jesus Wants. Turn to your neighbor and say, what you want? That's, uh, I think some people are actually answering. Oh yeah, this is good. When I got married over 10 years ago, I told people I would not give marriage advice until I was married 10 years. Well, now is the time. I'm here to give marriage advice. My first book I will write is called uh, How to Have a Happy Wife. How to uh, Make a Happy Home, whichever you want to call it. Chapter one would say this, ask your wife what she wants. (laughs) Chapter two would say, do it. (laughs) Chapter three would say, repeat. (laughs) Chapter four would say, why are you still reading the book? Go do what your wife just said. This is my book. Now here's why. I was literally talking to a couple of my buddies, asked some guys on staff, and I just said, hey, have you ever missed it with your spouse in your marriage? I asked Joe today, do you have any stories where you missed it with Paige? He's like, you just want one? How many want? And I started laughing. I was like, I was like, dang, okay, I'll just take one today. But we should go out to lunch one time and hear all the stories. Uh, and so I got a couple stories. I just want to share them with you real quick. I want you to hear the, the there's, a, there's a rhythm in these stories. And I want to start with a couple of our staff guys. I'll start with a guy I worked with back in the day. Uh, he was just newly married. And he asked me, he goes, Tyler, you love Tahoe. Will you help me book a trip to Tahoe? It's my wife's birthday. I want to surprise her. Two-day trip to Tahoe on her days off. I said, yeah, yeah. I said, here's where you want to stay. Here's some great restaurants. Have the best time. And so he, um, you know, takes his wife to Tahoe for, his, uh, for her birthday. And they start driving. And she's wearing an angel's hat and an angel shirt. And um, she's really excited. And they get in the car. And they start driving east. And she gets kind of quiet. And they get to Tahoe. And he goes, what's, what's wrong? And she's like, I thought you were surprising me for my birthday. And he goes, I am. I surprised you with Tahoe. She's like, I don't like the woods. <laughs> and he goes, you, well, I, I thought you'd love it. And she's like, I want to go to Anaheim, L.A. So I'm wearing Anaheim Angels shirt and a hat. So I always talk about L.A. I've never said I like Tahoe. And he's like, I assumed you'd like Tahoe. So, so he comes back, and I don't know any of this. I'm like, man, how'd, how'd it go? How, how, was, how was the birthday surprise? He's like, we show up, and she started crying. I was like, what? He's like, she doesn't like the woods. And she thought I was taking her to Anaheim because I told her a surprise, and I guess she thought I knew her better than I did, and I took her to the wrong spot. And I was like, oh, young man, young man, young man. Just ask her next time, what do you want for your birthday? And we'll have a better story. Now let's go to... Uh, let's go to Joe. I like Joe's story. Joe's story is good. Um, so Joe, uh, Joe, on their first Christmas, there is this app called Giftful, where you can go on the app and write down what you want uh, for your, your your Christmas presents. And so Paige put some stuff on the app that uh, she would like, and Joe's like, I know Paige better than the app, <laughs> and so totally decides not to go to the list and just finds some shoes that he's like, she's gonna like these shoes. She's gonna like these shoes. And so he buys these shoes for her, and she gets the shoes, and Paige being so, Paige is like, thank you, thank you so much. And she shut the box and just put it away. <laughs> Joe said he didn't know for a year that she didn't like the shoes. <laughs> they married almost five years, and the shoes are still in a box, <laughs> never to be worn, okay? Um, let's go to Shane. Okay, Shane, okay. Last one, last one, last one, last one. So it was about seven, eight years ago, uh, Shane and Carrie, Christmas time, uh, Carrie wants this purse. It's a certain purse. And Shane's like, don't tell me. Don't tell me. 
I know what I'm going to get you, and it's going to be a purse, and it's going to be amazing. It's, I mean, it's going to be amazing. Don't, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'm going to surprise you with a great purse. And so Kara's like, oh, my gosh, okay. And now leading up to Christmas for about um, a month or two, Shane keeps telling even her, her friends, oh, Carrie's going to love her present. I got her the greatest purse ever, you know? And uh, so Christmas morning comes. Shane is recording on his iPhone <laughs> as she opens up the purse. And this is where, like, Paige has a better poker face than Carrie does because... <laughs> Because Paige is like, thank you, and shut the box. And it took uh, Joe a year. Uh, Shane uh, is recording Carrie, and she opens it up, and she looks at the purse, and she goes, I don't like it. <laughs> and Shane, I guess, was upset, walked out of the room, blah, blah, blah. Merry Christmas to everybody. Um, catch this real quick. The big thought of this series is what Jesus wants. And a lot of Christians get really cute. They get too cute. They get too smart for their own good. I know what the Bible says, the app. I know you said what you said in the Bible, Jesus, but I got a different idea now. I, hey, Jesus, don't tell me what you want. I got a surprise. My name is Shane. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to surprise you, Jesus. I know you want to tell me, but don't tell me. I'm going to surprise you myself and see what happens. And what happens when you don't go to the source and find out their desire and find out his desire, we can have a tendency to miss it. And so this series is simply this. Let's not miss it as Christians. Let, let's, let's search the scriptures and just ask Jesus, what do you want? What do you want for my life? What do you want from my life? What do you want for your church? And so today's message is what Jesus wants, forgiveness. This is going to not be an easy message to preach. Because I understand in the room, a lot of you, if you shared what you've been through, you would say, Tyler, you don't get it. I'm going to tell you something. I don't get it. But Jesus does. So give him a shot today. Just give him a shot. I, I've been ministering and pastoring for almost 20 years now. And I've heard messages on forgiveness. I have preached on forgiveness. I don't know how many times in my life. And so when I prepared this message, I was like, it's it's forgiveness. Like I'll prepare a message. I'm excited. There's people in the house that need to be set free. Um, And as I'm preparing it, there was three times throughout this week, as I was preparing the message on forgiveness, that I stopped and I wept and I repented. God was not done with my heart in forgiveness. There are things that he exposed to my heart that I had. I was like, I didn't know I had that still. I came to Rachel in the middle of my message. I said, Rachel, time out. She's like, what's up? We will not speak ill of anybody ever again. She goes, we don't. I'm like, no, here's what I mean by ill. You know how you can just be like really, just really, really smooth with it? Like you're just like, you'll, you'll, you'll hurt somebody's name just a little bit when they, oh, oh yeah, you like that person? Yeah, they're okay. But if you knew this, you're like, no, like we're never going to do anything like that ever again. There's a handful of people in my life that I would just take slice jabs at. There are a handful of people in my life that when I see their face on social media, I just want them to fail. You're not in this room. Don't worry. Nobody in this room is in that. You're like, is it, is it me? No, no. And I, as I went on the journey, I thought I was fine, but there's these little nuances that just, those aren't even supposed to be in my heart. And so I hope you're ready for the message. I hope for the person in the house that has been abused in their past, betrayed at a level that would make every single person in here crumble, I'm believing that Jesus is going to help you forgive today and set you free today. That's not supposed to control you, and that is not supposed to be your identity, and it's not supposed to be your story. Will you bow your heads? Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we need you. Oh, Lord, would you show us in your scriptures 
how to find this freedom. God, would we be soft enough to hear your command? Lord, throughout scripture, you show us how much you want us to forgive and how much you want us to receive forgiveness. So today, Jesus, I pray that our hearts would be soft, our ears would be opened, our eyes would be open to see. God, we need you. May my words fall to the floor and your words soar. And everybody said? Got a lot of questions and I got a lot of answers. Are you ready? First one, why do we need forgiveness? Why do we need forgiveness? Luke 17 says this. I'm going to go uh, New King James Version first, Luke 17, 1. Then he said to his disciples, it is impossible, everybody say impossible, impossible, that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. Right there, Jesus says, hey, just to give you a heads up, it's going to be impossible to live life without somebody hurting your feelings. It's going to be impossible in your life to have somebody not betray you and hurt you. That word offense is the Greek word scandalon. It's one of those most famous Greek words you'll hear in church because so many people preach on it. The word uh, offense in Greek word scandalon, it is the picture of a trap. And the, the picture of a trap would be like a bear trap. It would be like this thing that is on the ground and you stepped in it, it would sma- uh, uh, slam shut and would keep you in a spot. And it's saying that this uh, scandal on uh, offense, that it is impossible that you will not step in these traps in your life. You're going to walk around in life and you're going to be doing your thing. And then out of the blue, sometimes, bam, somebody's going to hurt you and you're going to step in a trap. And the Bible shows that the only way out of this trap is forgiveness. Now, why is it so important to forgive? Because uh, if I could just actually want to read to you, I could say, it, but I want to say it. Um, with hurt, if we don't get it out with forgiveness... We will act it out in bitterness. Yeah. Let, let, let me say another way. God has a plan for your future, but bitterness freezes you in the past. So, 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 so if you get hurt and you are wounded uh, and you don't take care of it, you are going to be stuck in the past and never enjoy the future that God has for you. Uh, um, one of the most famous uh, South Korean pastors, uh, pastor of one of the largest churches in America, he says this, I forgive so many people because I hate so many people. <laughs> And I just loved his honesty. <laughs> There's just so many mean people out there. And so many people that are offensive and hurt our feelings. You know, I heard it say the, the level of your offendability is the level of your maturity. And, and I, I find that to, uh, to be true to an extent. But I think the true maturity is, is of course, I'm offendable. You're going to offend me. I am not a robot. But my maturity is this. When you do offend me, how do I walk that offense out? So I like the statement, the level of your offendability is the level of maturity. Yes. But am I going to be like this like robot where like you like call me names and I'm like, it doesn't bother me at all because I'm super mature. No, I'm going to be like, that hurt a lot. I am sensitive. Ask my wife. I am sensitive. I'll be like, I walk in the house. I'm like, hey, babe, what's going on? And she'll be like, what? Why would you say what like that? You know? You know, like, 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 even it's just the tone of how you said it. Like, like I'm a sensitive guy. And so if I, if I could just um, help you understand what I, I want you to catch today is Ruth Graham said it this way, that a, a great marriage is two great forgivers. I think that's so true. But a great life is made up of a great forgiver. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of piggyback on her quote and just say a great life is built up of a great forgiver. Because the bitterness of the past will freeze you from enjoying the promises and the things God has planned for the future. I think I have a picture. Will you post it, uh, show it real quick? Is there a picture I sent? Do you have my picture? That's me and my dad. My dad, uh, we just were in Vegas. I lost a lot of money. <laughs> Relax. I did. Okay. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, we're like, he must be kidding. 
my dad's dream was for us to go for his 80th to go play Hold'em together. We played one, three Hold'em, relax, it's all good. Um, and uh, so we went to Vegas for two days. I, le- I flew out on Monday, flew back on Wednesday, and uh, we hung out for those, you know, two days, and um, we laughed. We lost money together at the holding table. Not a lot, but we lost. Um, and we went out to dinner, and uh, I got home, and uh, I, I want to read you a-, a text I got from my dad uh, after the trip. I'll read you a couple of them. How's that? Uh, just thinking about Vegas and poker. Again, had a great time. I love you. Had the best time, Dad. I love you, Dad. Next morning, miss you guys. Love you. I need my poker buddy. I said, same. We should do that trip every month. (laughs) (laughs) If you've been at our church at all, you've heard my story with my dad as a kid. Unbelievably abusive home. I hated my dad. I never, I didn't even care at a time where like I just wanted him to be gone. And now I love my dad. And my dad says things he never said when I was a kid, like, I love you, or I never heard that, or I miss you. Never heard those things as a kid. And I remember choosing, not feeling, choosing forgiveness. And knowing it wasn't a one-time event, but just forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. You've heard me talk about this. I thought forgiveness was a, you know, uh, a two-player game, so I called my dad. I was like, Dad, I forgive you. He's like, for what? And I was like, never mind. I'll call you later. Bye-bye. <laughs> and I realized that if you knew my dad's story, you know, he was, you know, abandoned by his mom, beat up by his grandpa. I mean, you name it, a terrible life. And so really a product of his environment. Probably too painful even to go there when I said I forgive you. But I remember just, I'm going to forgive my dad. And, and my heart literally changed towards him. And that was at age 25 to 27. And 13 years later, I'm walking around Vegas, laughing with my dad. We never hugged. Hugged in the middle of a casino. <laughs> going to Martha Stewart's restaurant at Paris for his birthday dinner. I didn't know she had restaurants. Martha Stewart at the Bedford. Okay, anyways. Um, <laughs> I want you to hear this real quick. I had no idea when I was 25, 27, that there was a T decision in front of me. That at that moment in my life, I could choose not to forgive my dad and to say hi to him here and there, visit out of obligation once in a great while, and basically have this disdain for a man for the rest of my life and just live life that way for the rest of my days. That was an option in front of me that I could have taken. But instead, I listened to God and his word and my mentor who told me, Tyler, you are carrying dead corpses around on your body and you need to get them off of you and you need to start forgiving. Every time I talk to you, you bring up things about your dad. It controls you, it owns you, it is bondage in your life. You need to start forgiving. And I remember that day I decided to forgive and I took a right turn to freedom instead of a left turn to bondage. And I started forgiving my dad. And 13 years later, if you would have showed me at the end of those, uh, that time, and I've had sweet times throughout now, but if you would have showed me pictures like this, it would have been the easiest decision in my life. And that's why you need faith because you don't get to see that picture in the beginning. Let me read you a verse uh, in Luke 17. It shows us. I want to read you the whole thing. It's amazing that we missed this in this story. I want to read you out of the NIV this time, Luke 17, the same thing, because I want you to really catch this. Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. So he says that, that word stumble is the offense. It's the scandal. Things that are bound, a betrayal causes you to stumble. Have you ever seen anybody stumble and trip? It's amazing if you never stop tripping. 
It's amazing we never stop stumbling. He goes on, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister, uh, sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day, and then seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. Here's the apostle's reply. Increase our faith. He's teaching on forgiveness and says, you need to forgive. You must forgive. If they hurt you seven times in one day, you must forgive. And the disciples say, will you increase our faith? Because what is faith? Faith is seeing the opportunity of hugging your dad that you hated. Faith is seeing the opportunity of being free of something that's triggered you for the last 10 years. Faith is the opportunity of seeing something where you can actually walk and see a new identity on your life. We have this um, amazing story of Jesus' life. It's the gospel. And theologians mark his life by one word, deliverance. That's the one word that would sum up his ministry. Because Jesus came to earth And there were all these people that were in bondage and chains. Not physical ones, emotional ones, rhythm ones, mental ones, ones that happen in life. And so we don't have the verbiage to use chains anymore or bondage. Here's what we say, I'm triggered. We say things like this. I don't know why I keep doing this. Why am I dating the same type of guy? Why am I still making these decisions when I go on dates? Because something owns me and it pulls me this way. I do things I don't want to do. Why am I doing this? It's called bondage. It's called not freedom. And the reality is because Jesus wants to set you free. One of the biggest things that has you repeat a rhythm of bondage is unforgiveness. But if you're willing to forgive and let go of the past, the things that you could receive in the future and live out in the future, oh, if you could see it. And that's why they say, will you give us faith to see those things? Would you give us faith to see that I could be free and actually maybe hug a person I used to hate? Would you give me faith to believe that I could actually see myself not as damaged goods, but actually whole and perfect and worthy? Can you give me faith, Jesus? Before we go into the teaching that Jesus shows us in Matthew 18 that we're going to kind of camp around is I want to teach you what forgiveness isn't because there's a lot of misconceptions before we teach you what forgiveness is. So let me go to that real quick. Here's what forgiveness isn't. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Okay, like, hey, forgive and forget. It's all good. If a spouse betrays you and leaves you, there is not this like spiritual thing where the Lord goes in your brain, oh, I forgot their name. Who are they? What are you talking about? That's not what happens. What happens is, is wounds turn into scars. That once what did hurt and once was a thing that you could not touch or even talk about, you can point to now, and there is a, still a mark on your life from it, but it does not affect your life the same way. Wow, I, I ripped my finger open on a fence one time, and it literally makes a T or Mercedes symbol, whichever one you think is cooler. Um, <laughs> and I remember the first month with my finger, I couldn't use my pointer finger. I couldn't pick things up the same way. And I remember uh, the doctor saying, hey, this thing has to be cleaned like crazy for a full month, or else it's going to get infected, and like, it could do damage to your finger. The bone got exposed, all kinds of stuff. And when you get wounded by somebody, it is a DEFCON 1 emergency room intensive care. Hey, if you don't deal with this thing, it can get infected and it can affect everything you do. You could lose years and you could lose seasons of your life. And so I want you to know something. Forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is allowing the ointment of the Holy Spirit, the oil of the Holy Spirit to get into the infected 
wounded, cut areas and to heal what God could only heal and you couldn't heal. To take something from a wound and make it a scar. Let's keep going. Forgiveness isn't about being fair. Some of you are like, it's just not fair. I can't forgive them. This isn't fair. It's not about fair. It's about freedom. It's about your freedom. One of the, the most common stories ever shared about unforgiveness is drinking poison and hoping it hurts the other person. I've heard that a thousand times, but it's one of the most true statements ever. Well, it won't be fair if I forgive him. You're totally missing it. Let me, let me keep going. Forgiveness is not waiting for an apology. I'll forgive him once they uh, give me an apology. That's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not ceasing to feel pain. Doesn't even mean when you have that scar and you talk about it, doesn't mean that it still doesn't cause you to well up at times. Blessed are those who mourn over sin. You can still be emotional about it. It just can't control you. Another thing, forgiveness, forgiveness is not a one-time event. If you've ever been hurt by somebody, it's like waves coming into your life. You'll, you'll be fine, and then you'll be in the car, and then out of the blue, just a wave comes, and it just will bother you. It just uh, will affect you. You'll, you'll, you'll be you'll get ready, and you'll, you'll have a wave come, and you'll start having an angry conversation with that person. Forget, and then you get, I forget, I gotta forget. Here comes another wave, I gotta forgive. Here comes another wave, I gotta forgive. And the more you forgive, those waves get smaller, more spread out, and less potent. So forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiving is not trusting them again. Doesn't mean you forgive them and like, hey, you can just be a part of my life. Come on into my circle. Trust, we say this to our staff all the time. Trust is lost in buckets and it's earned in drops. I get it. You're new to church and you're asking yourself, is he, is he actually the real deal? Is the staff the real deal? Are the people that lead small groups, are they the real deal? We understand that we have to earn trust with you in drops. And we can lose it in buckets. And so you got to just live with character and integrity, grace and mercy. So forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. <clears throat> forgiveness is a one-player game. Reconciliation is a two-player game. Now, God's, <clears throat> God desires reconciliation. He's a minister of reconciliation. And we're not going to touch on that a lot today, but that's another one. Now, <clears throat> what are we going to do with this? <clears throat> I think it's very easy to teach about forgiveness. It's very hard to live it out. I want to read you a story. I, I didn't know who Mary uh, Ten Bloom was. Uh, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, didn't go to a Christian school. Rachel had to read her book in school, I found out. Um, anybody know who Corey Ten Bloom is? Yeah. Good amount of you. A lot of Christians in the house. Congratulations. All right. <laughs> I was studying for this, and Corey Ten Bloom got brought up a handful of times, and her book, The Hiding Place. And so I bought the book, The Hiding Place, read a little bit of it. Uh, there's this excerpt of it that I want to read to you. If you don't know Corey Ten Bloom, I want to give you some context. Corey Ten Bloom uh, lived in Holland during uh, World War II. Her and her family uh, were rescuing Jewish people, and they saved hundreds. Uh, but one of their neighbors eventually turned them in, and they uh, got uh, arrested. Uh, the sisters got sent to um, a concentration camp in Ravensbrück, and the father was sent to prison. Father died in prison, and the sister, one of her sister died in the concentration camp. And after the war ended, um, Corrie ten Bloom felt God called her to go back to Germany and preach about forgiveness. Uh, a bitter country that was going to be stuck in the past unless they knew how to forgive themselves, receive forgiveness, and forgive people. And so she goes to preach forgiveness, and here's a story that she shared. And I want you to hear it because... She was teaching it, but then she had to live it out, and she shows the pain and how hard it is to live it out. I think I actually, uh, it might be on the screen too. Here we go. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. 
It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. I gave them my favorite mental picture, maybe because the sea is never far from Hollander, uh, Hollander's minds. I liked <clears throat> to think that there was, uh, th- that's where forgiven, uh, forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And there was a sign there, no fishing allowed. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after the talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected in the wraps. In silence, they left the room. And that's when I saw him. Working his way forward against the others, one moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail, um, frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath me, and the parchment skin, Betsy, how thin you were. She sees the prison guard that was terrible to her and her sister. She's having a flashback of him in his uniform, in his Nazi uniform, and her and, uh, her, and her sister walking past him naked, literally starving to death, uh, because she sees the man who hurt them at the camp. This is what she's unpacking. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message. How good it is to know, as you say, all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remember him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard in there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he said, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Again, a hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins, who had every day to be forgiven and could not, Betsy had died in that place. My sister died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been uh, many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that I had to do it. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespass. I knew not only as commandment of God, but as a daily experience. At the end of the war, I had come into Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter how bad or what their physical scars were. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was simple and as horrible as that. She unpacks that she knows the biblical truth and she's seen what bitterness does to people. She knows she cannot pick it. She goes on to say, and I stood still there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You can supply the feeling. And so woodenly and mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started at my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into the joint of my hands. And then this healing warmth, 
seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each each other, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. Stop. I have no idea what your biggest wound is in your life. I don't know it. I have no idea how God is going to address it with you. This is an intense story of the person who hurt the person standing in front of the person and the person knowing the evidence of bitterness and knowing the fruit of forgiveness and choosing to make a step. When they say, give me faith, I'm going to tell you something real quick. I pray all the time, Lord, would you, would you have Red Sea type miracles happen at Mission Church? Faith like that, to put the staff in the ground and say, God, would you split a Red Sea? And I was preparing this message. I think the greatest Red Seas that we're going to see split in the East Bay is forgiveness Red Seas. Yeah. That there would be faith to say, God, I don't know how you can split this big of a thing, how you can actually move something like this that's in my heart, but by faith, I'm going to put down a staff and say, God, I forgive. So my prayer today, as we go in to see how Jesus teaches us to walk through, because I'm going to teach you, I'm going to give you some tools today, how he teaches us how to walk through forgiveness, the cost of unforgiveness, and the people of forgiveness around him, that you're going to start the journey today. Some of you, I'm, I'll be honest, some of you are going to be set free instantly. Some of you, it's going to be a journey. Let's see what Jesus teaches on forgiveness. So what does Jesus teach about forgiveness? Matthew 18 says this. Then Peter came into him and said, Lord, how often... Shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him. I do not say up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven uh, is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with servants. And when uh, he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. We don't have talents for uh, finances anymore. A talent, we don't know if it's silver or if it's gold, so the financial number is not perfect. Uh, But uh, you need to know this. 10,000 talents is a massive sum. Uh, one talent of silver would be 5,000 denarii, which you'll see in here in just a second. 300 denarii was an average year's wage. And so gold talents would be 10,000 denarii for one gold talent. So scholars say this is anywhere from billions to trillions of dollars that this regional governor, who, who this person in the story, has mismanaged and lost for the emperor. This is the parable story Jesus is trying to show him. A king who's empowered other people to steward places that he cares about and has given them resources, he has mismanaged them and lost millions and trillions of dollars. So that's the picture that we're seeing right from the bat, okay? Follow with me. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and the children and all that he had and the payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, I have, uh, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But the servant went out and found his uh, fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii. And he uh, laid hands on him and took him by the throat. So, so just got uh, forgiven for, let's just say a billion dollars and somebody owes him $10,000. Still a substantial amount of money but you just got forgiven for a billion dollars and now you're going to be ruthless for somebody who owes you $10,000. So, so he takes this man, owes him a hundred denarii and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servant saw 
what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just had pity on you? And his servant was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother for his trespasses. Stop. That is one of the more intense teachings you'll ever read in all the Bible. Jesus literally says that if we do not forgive, we are left to torment. If we do not forgive, he does not forgive us. You are not going to find a sin like that in the Bible where Jesus talks that intensely about. We in the church, we focus on sexual sin like crazy. Jesus does not say, if you lust, you're done. He does talk about us lusting after a woman and it being like adultery. He does talk about that. But he's saying, this type of sin, this type of unforgiveness, it is going to destroy your soul. Jesus teaches us this about forgiveness. It is life and death. Freedom or not freedom. Let, let, me, let, me, let me show you um, uh, this again. Let's read this. So he said to him, uh, you're going to be thrown in prison and you're going to be left there and be tormented. <laughs> so my heavenly father will also do to each of you for his heart if you do not forgive his brother and his trespasses. C.S. Lewis, uh, when I got saved, he was like the author everybody talked about. And so you read all the C.S. Lewis books. So I'm, you know, 16 to 20 years old. I'm reading Mere Christianity, uh, The Great Divorce. I mean, all, all, any book I could get my hands on, C.S. Lewis. And I did not have the depth of life to understand what he was even writing at the time. It was this profound author sharing God's heart through, you know, the screw tape letters, through fiction, uh, through apologetics in Mere Christianity. And The Great Divorce was this book that I, I read, and I just didn't understand some of the stories in it. If you don't know the, the big thought of the, the book, The Great Divorce, um, it is this story of these people who are from hell, that are in a bus, that take the bus to the outskirts of heaven. And people from heaven go and meet these people from hell and talk them, try to talk them into coming to heaven. And the sad part of this story is that a lot of the people that are from hell don't want to leave hell. Because to leave hell, you've got to leave hell behind. To leave hell, you have to leave hate behind. And so he shares these stories. And I remember this one story, and I just didn't think it was that big a deal. And so like one of the stories was this woman who was a grumbler. She just complained. And basically he's sharing the story that, that grumbling and living a life of grumbling is living a life of hell. Now, if you look at the Old Testament, grumbling is actually one of the worst sins in the Bible. It's actually what the Israelites did all the time uh, on their way uh, to the promised land. And so, so he talks about grumbling. I didn't understand why grumbling was so bad, but if you start to grumble, you become a grumbler, and everything you see is grumbly and not actually beauty. And so, so you bring hell to places, not beauty to places. And I was like, I didn't get that at that age, but I, 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 get, it, I get it now. He goes on to say in, in, in another, another book that, that talks about a very similar picture, C.S. Lewis, he says this. He goes, hell is a never-ending autobiography. And what he means by that is, is that your story of pain becomes a never-ending story that keeps going page after page instead of Jesus actually getting the whole of the book and writing a new story of joy and beauty and restoration. And so the people that come to the outskirts of heaven don't want to come to heaven because for some reason they want this autobiography of pain and betrayal to be in their story forever. But Jesus actually wants to restore you and have you be made whole and have that be in the past and have a new story. Today, I'm going to ask some of you to get out of the bus and leave hell. You are a believer in Christ. You love Jesus, but you have some dead bodies still connected to you. 
You've got some corpses. You've got some chains. You, you have found almost fake comfort in your bitterness. And it is holding you back from enjoying everything God has for you. So let's look how we walk through this and how we get there. So how do I even know I have unforgiveness? Sometimes I say, I'm good. I'm good. Let, let's, uh, let's look at this real quick. But that, uh, let's read a uh, little bit of the verse again. I'll go back to it. Uh, but that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants and owed him a hundred denarii and laid hands on him and took uh, him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe me. Stop. Pay me what you owe me. Some song like that. Isn't that like a Rihanna song? Yeah. Where's my money? Oh, that's a bad song. Yeah. Never mind. I'm sorry. Rachel, yeah, stop, Tyler. <laughs> I didn't remember it. I just said, uh, where's my money? Yeah, it's a bad, bad song. Oh my gosh. I, I'm sorry. A lot of you don't know it. Don't look for it. It's a Rihanna song. She says a cuss word in it. That's all it is. But she is trying to get her money back. So very similar. It just popped in my head. I was going to sing it. I was like, I can't do it anymore. Okay, anyways. All right, let's go back. I usually make these mistakes in 11 a.m. when it's not live streamed. But hey, it is what it is. Pay me what you owe me. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> so this picture... We go to somebody and it is a financial debt trying to get back. The reality is a lot of our debt is usually not a financial debt we're trying to get from somebody. Sometimes it is. Some people have stolen money from us and that is a real thing and it's, it's weird to be robbed. It's, it's a, it makes you feel funny. But some of us, it's a betrayal debt. It's, a, it's an emotional debt. It's a physical debt. And so we say the same thing, but we do it differently. And how do we have somebody pay for something when they hurt us? There's three things you'll see. Um, if I could read all the verses on, uh, on forgiveness and forgiveness in the Bible. First one is this, is how you try to make somebody pay is you directly try to annihilate them. You try to cut them down. You speak ill of them. You literally, like, to their face are trying to annihilate who they are. And then if you annihilate them enough, and then they're sad enough, maybe you'll forgive them because they've paid the price now. So that's, that's one way we, co- we cause people to pay. This guy comes and literally goes, give me my money. Second way we try to make people pay is we indirectly annihilate them. They're not around, but anybody who ever talks about them around us, they leave thinking a little less than them than they'd before. We cut them down a little bit, and we're good at it too. Before they met you, they thought that person was great, but after they met you, they think that person's terrible. You've made that person pay. You've hurt them. The third way that we uh, annihilate people is we just can't wait for them to fail. We are on the edge of our seat waiting for them to fail. One of my mentors from afar, Tim Keller, says, this is Christian voodoo. That you are literally just waiting there, like almost with like spiritual little needles going, I can't wait, I want them to fail, I want them to fail, I want them to fail. You're looking at them on Instagram saying, I want them to fail, I want them to fail, I want them to fail. This is not God's spirit. And so if you're in the house today and you want somebody to fail, you have unforgiveness. If you're in the house today and you have spoken ill of people because they have hurt you and you wanted other people to know how bad they are, you have still unforgiveness. If you hear somebody's name or you see them and you want to hurt them, you resist them, uh, you have resentment or revenge, you have unforgiveness. God wants to deal with that today, yes? So here, here, that, that's the, for the unforgiveness test. So, and if I'm being honest, all of us have a little bit of that probably. So Jesus teaches us the process of forgiveness. So here's the process in Matthew 18, verse 26. So when the man had the debt, he goes, but the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. That is master filled with pity for him, uh, released him and forgave him. There's three things that uh, the Lord shows us how, how the process of forgiveness is. You are 
filled with pity, you release, and then you forgive. Pity, release, forgive. It's interesting that pity is the first one. Now, if you've ever been hurt by somebody or had somebody who is a villain in your life, we do a really good job of making that person one-dimensional. They become the liar. They become the manipulator. They become the abuser. Um, they become one thing and one thing only. You've made them one-dimensional. I remember when I went to Universal Studios one time, and I had the, um, I was with a, a friend, and we had the cartoonist, you know, uh, right, make our face. And I have a bigger nose, not small lips, and I have my ears, I thought were normal size, but what a characterist has to do is take your features and make them bigger to make them look like you. And so I got done, and I was like, this is not me. I look ridiculous. My ears are huge. Like, I just look ridiculous. You know what I'm saying? He made my hairline look way higher than it is. I was like, I'm not, that's not that high, you know? And so, but if you're going to write a character thing of somebody, you, you have to make some of their features really, really big. And what we do spiritually with people is when they have hurt us, we draw a picture of them. And if they're a human being, if they're a liar, we make the liar the big part on the picture. If they're manipulative, we make it a big part on the picture. It's interesting, though. When you lie, it's complicated. I'm a multidimensional person. You don't understand the facets of what was going on. I had to lie in that moment. I'm not a liar. I just lied. When you manipulate, I'm not a manipulator. I just manipulated. But when that person lied, when that person manipulated, you drew that picture the biggest way it is. But when you do it, you take out your eraser and you erase it right away. The first thing it says is it shows pity. That Greek word is literally to actually see yourself as them. To put your feet in their feet and go, if I had lied at this moment, if I had done this, what would I want? I would want empathy and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so the the king says that he shows him pity. He, He says, I feel, I feel if I were in that shoe, I'd want this forgiven. So the first thing you have to do if you want to forgive somebody is you have to see them not 1D, but as a broken person that needs grace and mercy, not a villain that needs to be judged by you. So that's step one. You need to show them pity. Second one is you need to release them. You need to release them. Romans 12, 19 says this, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Anybody watch the WWF, WWE? Macho Man, Randy said, like all that kind of stuff. Remember those things? I wasn't a big fan of it, but I watched it once in a while. And there was this um, uh, type of wrestling event where they would have tag team wrestlers. So you'd be in the ring with another wrestler and you'd be wrestling them. And one of the guys would start just beating up the other guy and you get really tired. And your partner is literally, you know, standing at the ring and he's your partner and you have two guys wrestle. And he's reaching his hand. Like, and, and the rule was if you just tag your teammate's hand, he could jump in the ring and fight for you if you were losing or you're about to get defeated. And so, so you could see, like, and they were so dramatic, you know, because it was fake. Sorry if you didn't know that. But, um, and so the wrestler would be being defeated, and he'd be crawling to his, 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 his teammate, and his teammate's like, come on, just touch my hand, touch my hand. And then it would be, like, you know, dramatic, because he'd be, like, crawling over there, and the guy would pull his feet back, and be like, no, and be crawling over there. And then finally he'd, he'd touch his teammate's hand, and his teammate would jump over the ring, and then just start beating the guy up, and beating the guy up. And the other guy got out of the ring, and then he got to watch his buddy beat the guy up and defeat his enemy. 
And, and what, what Romans 12 is showing you is Jesus is like saying, hey, leave room for me. Tag me in. You're going to get overcome by evil. You're going to be overcome by bitterness. Take my hand. You are getting destroyed right now with this. Get out of that. That is not a ring for you. You are not qualified. You are not strong enough. Take me in. And so you need to release them. But when you're releasing them, you're releasing God, you're releasing yourself, and you're releasing the person. All three are being released. And all three are being released to the right thing. You're being released to get taken care of. God is being released in the ring to take care of the evil that has been done to you. And the person in that room, in that ring that is hurting you, either they're going to repent or the Bible says they'll have eternal punishment in hell. It's being real. God does not wink at sin. Just want to give you a heads up. He doesn't, it's all good. Somebody has to pay the price for what hurts you and hurt me and what hurt Jesus. And that's why the cross and the perpetuation is a big word, but basically everything that we did to hurt people, Jesus paid on the cross and paid in the rain for us. But people who don't repent and ask Jesus in their heart, they will pay for what they did. We have a just God. So we have to release. So, that, so, so release, is, release is the second part of it. So you, 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 you empathize, you take Jesus in, you release, and then you forgive the debt. This is, this is one of those ones where there is a cost to it. You're like, all I got to do is take Jesus and I'm good. No, there is a debt to be forgiven. There is a cost to be paid. It's emotional bandwidth. It is time. It is energy. Um, if you came over to my house and you broke my TV and I said, it's all good. The TV does not magically get better the next day. I have to go to Costco and buy another TV and it's a big one, 80 inch. I'm a big sports fan. Come on now. <laughs> Jordan Mai helped me set it up. That thing was heavy. So I'd watch the Niners on it today. It's, it's my favorite thing in the whole world in the house, except my wife. Um, <laughs> wife, then my TV. Um, but if you broke my TV, I'd have to go to Costco and get another TV. There, somebody has to go get, to make this thing new. Somebody has to pay for it. And, and when we go through something, there is a cost to it. The cost is carrying the cross. The cost is being like Jesus. The cost is literally choosing to forgive and allowing the feelings that eventually follow. The cost is emotional bandwidth. Maybe it's having to go to a therapist and walking through it. There is a cost to it, but we have to pay it. But the, the faith that we see in it is, oh, if you'd give me faith to see if I'd pay that cost, I would have a freedom I never knew I could have. So I'll invite the worship team to come up. We're going to finish with this. So how do I become a forgiving person? Like how, how, how does it not become something I do, but how do I actually like it just become the person I am? There's three things you need to do is you need to look at yourself, you need to look to people, and you need to look to Jesus. We'll be done. First one is how do you become a forgiving person? You need to look at yourself. When we are hurt by people and we are wounded, it almost becomes our identity. We start becoming that person. This is, this is who I am. This is my story. And it becomes like our biggest like, badge instead of Jesus, actually. And that becomes a very dangerous thing. Um, and not only that, when we... Are hurt, we, we look at ourselves, you got to look, look past your badge and you got to look at your whole self. The first thing that you got to look when you're, you're looking to become a forgiven person is have you ever gotten away with anything you shouldn't have done? I think all of us can say yes to that. If you had to actually, if there was a machine at church that if you stood under it and it just printed out the resume of everything bad you did, Would you stand under the machine? I wouldn't. I would be like, if the machine's over there, I'd stand in that side of the room. I wouldn't even want to walk around it. 
And what that machine shows us is that we are not strong enough, loving enough, just enough, perfect enough to sit in the seat of judgment. And it shouldn't be something that we think we are qualified enough for because it's a self-righteous thing gets in us sometimes. Because we got through one thing, we can start acting like we're self-righteous and start judging everybody. But if you look at yourself, you realize, God, I, I don't know their story. I don't know the whole picture. I know that I'm not loving enough to actually make the right decision on this person. So I'm just going to do my part and I'm just going to forgive. So first thing is you look at yourself. Second thing is you look to people. You look to people. You're not supposed to do this on your own. Luke 18, the thing that I find fascinating is Jesus teaches the same story right connected to it. And I, I love that the Bible has chapters and numbers. It got added later on like we, we've communicate, uh, communicated here um, like 1400s by Paris theologian. Uh, and so numbers and things are great but it almost separates things that shouldn't be separated from the story. Like, like different parts that are still connected to the story. And this is literally in Matthew 18, right, right next to it. Jesus says this about uh, how we're supposed to walk through it. We have each other to walk through uh, unforgiveness. But another believer sins against you, go privately and point out that offense. If the other person listens and confesses, you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. So you got yourself, the Bible, go do what the Bible says. Then you take some friends, and then you take the whole church. So let's take the case of the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Now you need to know something. Jesus wasn't mean to tax collectors. He wasn't mean to pagans. He was a friend of sinners. He would hang out with them. But he wouldn't let them, call, let them use the term follower of the way or Christian. And what, what he's saying here is there's three things you see is if somebody has lost their way, go to them. And the, one of the Greek words in there is literally you are basically re-evangelizing to the person. The person's forgot the gospel. They forgot the good news in a sense. They forgot about grace and mercy. They forgot about forgiveness. So it says, hey, if somebody in your church, they're unforgiving, go tell them, hey, you're unforgiving. You're ungracious and you're unmerciful. Oh, whatever, you don't know my story. I, I'm allowed to be unforgiving in this moment. I'm, I'm going to be unforgiving in this moment. That person, they're, they're terrible. Get them out of here. You take some friends, and there, we gotta, we gotta go win them back for Jesus. We gotta go share the good news with them, the gospel. And you go back and you share the gospel. It's the gospel. Every person gets a second chance, a thousandth chance. You gotta forgive. And all three people say, come on, forgive them. You, we, we know you, we love you. Please don't stay on the bus of hell. Come be free. Nah, I'm, I, I'm, I'm staying here. I'm staying in this spot. Then you take that person to church. I, I don't care, pastor. I'm not forgiving. And here's what Jesus says if there's a person like that. Make sure they don't use my title Christian. You cannot reproduce that type of Christian. That type of Christian is not reproducing heaven, they're reproducing hell. Take the name of Christian off them and put the name pagan back on them. This is intense teaching from our Savior. Because he's saying if a church can't be forgiving, then we might as well just be the world again. We might as well hate why you like the world, judge like the world, do things like the world. He goes, but if you're going to be in the church, you need to have a bar that forgiveness is non-negotiable. And the people around you love you so much to say, you've lost your way. You are so lost. 
you are no longer a follower of Christ. That's what Jesus is saying. We have such a high bar for alcohol, such a high bar for sexuality, such a high bar for other things. But then when it comes to forgiveness, we're like, yeah, maybe forgive him. But when Jesus teaches on unforgiveness, this is a bar he is setting. So if it was just look at yourself and look at uh, others to become a forgiving church, a forgiving person, that would be good. But here's where it gets really good. The way you become a forgiving person is you look to Jesus. You look to Jesus. And not only you look to Jesus, you look at Jesus. I read you the verse of Romans 12. It says, leave room for Jesus. That, that picture really is, is, hey, you're sitting in the wrong seat. You ever, you ever have somebody sit in the seat and you didn't leave room for them to sit down? And so they walk in and you're like, oh, this is your seat? That's my bad. So, so Jesus is the one that sits on the judgment seat. And so that picture saying, leave room is saying, hey, you're sitting in my seat and doing my job. And it just, could you leave me some room and have me sit down? And so he's saying, watch Jesus, leave room, don't sit in my seat. But here's what's so amazing about Jesus. When Jesus came to the world, he didn't even sit in the judgment seat. He decided to forgive instead of judge. He decided to pick up the cross instead of pick up wrath. Let me, let me just read you a verse and, and we'll be done and then we'll pray. John 12, 47. I will not judge those who hear me. Uh, uh, I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me for I've come to save the world and not to judge it. So if Jesus who was betrayed, beaten and killed decided not to judge the world, but to save the world while he was, while he was here on the earth, what do you think we're supposed to do? Maybe just maybe we're supposed to be little Jesuses and not judge the world, but go and try to save the world with the gospel message. My prayer today, if you're in the house today, and you are sitting still in that seat on that bus and you don't want to leave hell, I pray in the name of Jesus that God softens your heart and you walk off that bus and you walk to the things of God. I pray today if you're sitting in a seat you're not supposed to sit in, I pray that you would get up today and you would start forgiving. I'm not asking that you feel forgiveness today, but I ask that you would just maybe say it for the first time in your car. And when you get home tomorrow, you'd say it again. And the next day you'd say it again, that you'd pray, God, increase my faith to see that if I actually did forgive, it would change my life. Will you bow your heads with me? I don't know if it's your second time, first time in church, and you never said yes to Jesus. The thing you need more than anything than even forgiving is you need the forgiveness of Jesus. You need to understand that there is a Savior that died on a cross, that paid the price, that literally did everything that you couldn't so you could say yes to Jesus because he paid the debt. If you want to say yes to salvation today, yes to heaven, no to hell, with every head bowed and eye closed, you want to say yes to Jesus, raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise it up and raise it up. I want to see if you want to say yes to Jesus. I see you. That's a great decision. I see you. That's a great decision. If you're somebody in the house and today's message was hard for you, and you're like, I don't know if I can. This, is, this seems too much, for my, too much for me. Most things that when God calls us are too much for us. They stretch us. But you just want your pastor to pray for you that God would increase your faith, that you increase your strength, that you could start becoming a forgiving person that you could forgive a thing that's been just holding on to your life. If that's you and you want prayer, we just raise your hands. I want to pray for you. If you're somebody who wants to be free today, hands all over. So proud of your church. God, I pray for the ones that have their hands raised. God, would you set them free this year? God, I pray that there would be a rhythm of forgiveness that starts in their life today. And because of that rhythm of forgiveness, there would be a new rhythm of freedom and joy and peace. God, we love you. We love you. God, we pray for the ones that got saved today. God, would you bless them? God, I pray they'd find community, our church. God, I pray they'd find 
uh, new friendships, new relationships. God, we love you. We love it. Never said. Thanks again for listening to the Mission Church Podcast. If you enjoyed it, make sure you subscribe so you can keep up on our weekly sermons. If you're in the Bay Area, we invite you to come join us on Sundays. You can find all the details on our website at missionchurchca.com. Again, thanks so much for listening, and we hope to see you soon.